Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies. Everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Hi, I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Welcome to my new podcast focused on the future, keys to building a profitable, sustainable, and impactful business. And I'm excited to be partnering with wealthmanagement.com on this. This series will focus on what firms need to embrace to ensure their growth and success for the future. And you'll hear from industry leaders and advisors on what is working for them. The content is directed at firms that are already successful and looking to stay that way, and also for those who are focused on taking their firms to that next level. I have a great lineup of guests in store, and today I'm talking with Michael Nathanson. Michael is the chair and CEO of The Colony Group, a nationally recognized independent wealth advisory and business management firm with offices nationwide. Welcome, Michael. Uh, So great to have you on. Very excited to speak with you. And uh, thanks for taking the time today to share your thoughts with our listeners. Just so happy that you're part of this. Suzanne, it's so great to be here. Always great to have a conversation with you. Oh, well, thank you for that. So, uh, so let's, let's start at the beginning. Tell us about your journey into wealth management and how you got to where you are now. If I had answered that question a few years ago for you, it would have been a, a, a different sounding answer. The facts would have been the same. The, the story would have been different. The way I look at things now, in retrospect, I, I feel like I got here because I listened to what the signals of the universe were telling me, and, uh, and I was just brought here. I began my professional career as a lawyer. I went to I went to uh, law school and I went to a, a top law school and was very ambitious about being a lawyer. I wanted to be a litigator. I was very inspired by the the show L.A. Law, and I wanted to be uh, the next Michael Kuzak, played by Harry Hamlin. Uh, I was very handsome. And, yes, and uh, we're contemporary, so I remember L- <laughs> L.A. Law very well. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was such a great show, and uh, it was it, it was a big show. And oh, yeah. uh, and my father is a lawyer, and uh, always wanted to be a lawyer. And I um, did really well in law school, and had my choice of law firms, and I chose a firm called Hale and Door, which is now known as Wilmer Hale, one of the top law firms still in the world, gigantic law firm. This was the firm that represented uh, the Army and the Army McCarthy hearings. It represented Richard Nixon. It was the the firm that uh, was profiled in the movie and book, A Civil Action. And things didn't go, however, exactly as I thought they would. Um, I chose what I thought was the best firm and was excited to join. And I got a call two weeks before I began from the chair of the Associates Committee saying, yeah, I know you wanted to be a litigator, but we would like to ask you to do something different. We want you to be a tax lawyer because uh, Vicki Summers, who was the wife of Larry Summers, had been a tax lawyer there. And Larry Summers was in the process of going to work for the Clinton administration. 
And so she would be leaving and they needed a tax lawyer. I knew nothing about tax, but I opened my mind even at the age of whatever I was, 24, and decided, okay, I'll try being a tax lawyer. Fast forward, I I had a great career as a tax lawyer and uh, became a, a senior equity partner at a very young age and uh, became ultimately the vice chair of the tax department, again, at a very young age. And everything was great. I started to develop clients. And one of my smallest clients was this little registered investment advisor called the Colony Group. And uh, and I had been doing some work for them uh, here and there, it's a tiny firm at the time. And I fell in love with their culture. I thought the people there were were wonderful. I became friends with them, joined their fantasy baseball league, just became personal friends with them, loved what 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 they were all about culturally. And um, the next thing I know, they're recruiting me. and uh, and so I was recruited to leave. I <laughs> I, I, uh, I ultimately decided to, to 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 do the unthinkable. Back then, senior equity partners did not leave big law firms. I took a gigantic pay cut. But I just saw an opportunity. I felt that the universe was calling me to do something different, to try my hand at being an entrepreneur. And and I made the leap. Everyone thought I was crazy at the law firm. I think all my friends and family thought I was crazy too. But I did it and I've never looked back. I, first of all, did not know that. Was was Bob Glovsky at the firm at the time? Bob Glovsky was not at the firm. Bob Glovsky joined us through a merger in 2012. But I did know Bob, though, when I was a junior partner at my law firm because, and Bob was a star. He still is, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he had a big radio show. And uh, back when there weren't a lot of money radio shows. And I, I remember he reached out to me and asked me to be on the board of advisors for the BU program for financial planners. And I remember thinking, I'm speaking to like a famous star. And so Bob and I actually became friends long before I joined the Colony Group. That is so interesting. I wasn't sure, but I didn't know your background there. And you know, it's ironic, and you say, as the universe says, and I am a big believer in that. We've talked about that before. Fate plays a lot, uh, pl- plays a lot in our decisions and what happens to us. But I love that you didn't stay just for the money. I think a lot of people do that, and it tricks people up, trips people up. But I love that you followed your gut and followed the culture, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about as a part of this podcast series. So that's great background. And of course, now look at you, right? So this podcast is really all about the future and what firms and individuals need to do to be successful now and in the future. So what are key areas that you are focused on at the Colony Group to serve current and future clients? We're focused on evolution. We understand fully well that what we have done in the past will not be good enough for the future. And uh, and we are, I don't mean to say this in a harsh way, but we are economic Darwinists. We believe that not in the survival of the fittest, which is not something ever Darwin spoke to, uh, that's a myth, but rather survival of the species, or in this case, the organizations that are able to adapt 
to changes in their environment. We understand that if we do not, once again, to quote Darwin, we will be naturally selected for extinction, which is not what we want. So we are evolving. We believe in innovation, constant innovation. So for example, we have been innovating to go beyond asset management, beyond wealth management and family office and tax services to life enrichment, to understanding not just our fi- our clients' financial goals, but also their life goals, which we believe we can bring together to help people live not just wealthier lives, not just more financially secure lives, but richer lives in the sense that goes far beyond money. And so we've innovated Curated by Colony, which is a platform of life enrichment services like concierge medicine and travel experiences and cybersecurity and philanthropic coaching and second career coaching, mindfulness, nutrition, fitness. These are the things that we want to innovate and go beyond. Now, innovation sometimes doesn't look that exotic, but we believe in constant innovation, constant engagement not just with our our clients, but also with our people. We believe ultimately we must attract, develop, engage, and retain the best people. But ultimately, Suzanne, what we're doing is we are fully embracing interdependence. The independence movement, it's time that it evolved to go from, from what was not independence to independence to now interdependence, where we can come together with allies outside our organization to do more and to do better for all of our stakeholders. Yeah, I love that. That is so smart. And you're right, right? Like, so the the evolution of the profession we saw happening from like business model standpoint, and then you're starting to see the incorporation of these holistic services, like you mentioned, tax, estate, you know, long-term care, et cetera. And now you're saying, let's take it a step further. Let's look at concierge medical. Let's look at travel. Let's look at the other things that impact the client's life and life cycle. And I think that is so smart and so spot on because it will continue to frame up the advisor as that central or that nucleus of that client's well-being, overall well-being, not just their financial well-being, their overall well-being. Precisely. And, you know, as I described, for example, for that platform that you just referenced, that is an, the ultimate example of interdependence. You know, I, I love the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You and I, I believe have talked about that in the past. And really, if you want to just, just drill down and get beyond the seven habits, it's really all about the fact that people are born dependent. They ultimately, in most cases, become independent, and then they cling to the independence, and that prevents them from becoming highly effective. But the people that learn how to embrace interdependence, to work with others, to go beyond just their own immediate orbit, those are the people that are highly effective. And I think it's the exact same thing for organizations. Don't stick with just independence. Sure, independence in that you want to be reporting to your clients and to your your team members first and foremost versus some shareholders. Uh, absolutely, that kind of independence makes a lot of sense. We've just taken it too far in the industry. We need to embrace interdependence now. Yeah, so that's a great that's a great op ed. You should uh, you should write. A, I think you've already written a piece on that, but um, one that's, or two. That's, that's a <laughs> that's a that's a really great way of looking at 
really what what's next, right? And that curiosity factor, we, we talked before we started recording about um, the, the, how important curiosity is in, in your growth of, your, of yourself and, and of your firm. So I'd love to, you mentioned this a little bit in your answer of the prior question, but I'd love to get your overall philosophy and process around attracting, retaining, and hiring top talent. That is something that used to keep me awake at night when I managed a team. I know it keeps a lot of firms up at night. What it, What's your philosophy and process around that at the Colony Group? Let's start with the obvious. You have to you have to pay people well. You have to give people good benefits. Um, what I would describe as livable wages, livable benefits, not just what you can get away with. And so that's the basics. But of course, it goes beyond that. The next level up would be to offer people excellent career paths, or I've been reading some people call them career portfolios. But but people need to be engaged and know that there is a place for them to go. At our company, we have embraced the idea of equity ownership for people who go beyond just advisors. And um, and so about 25% of our team members are ultimately invited into our partnership, uh, which is part of it. But for everybody in all functions within our company, we have clear career paths. Now, everything I've just said, however, is not very differentiated. I, I consider those things fundamental, and I hope organizations are thinking about them. Ultimately, we'll go back to Sigmund Freud. And what Freud said was that all human beings need beyond the basics, including food and shelter and water, are, are what he said was Leben und Arbeiten, love and work. And what Freud meant was not love the way we might think of, for example, between two spouses, but he meant connection. And, and when he says work, he doesn't mean work as in toiling in the fields or at a desk. What he means is purpose. And all people need connection and purpose. We seek to attract, develop, engage, and retain the best people in the industry by offering connection, a deep community, a deep, awesome culture, but also purpose. We seek to understand all of our people's purpose. What's their purpose in life? And is it consistent with our purpose as an organization? Is it consistent with our mission? Is it consistent with our vision, which is to be the leading financial services company in the world for clients and team members who seek meaning and joy in their lives? And Ultimately, by understanding purpose and tying it to company purpose, that is the best way to attract and retain top talent. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, from just from my own experience back in the day running a team, a very highly productive team, we I always used to think like you you I want to go out and have lunch with them or dinner with them. I enjoyed them. We enjoyed each other. Yes. And and you know media is not always the most lucrative profession to enter. Um so people weren't there for the money, let's put it that way. They were there for a greater sense of purpose of of what journalism meant and uh, I say meant because I think it's shifting a little bit what it meant and the the importance of it uh, in in every industry. So and it just makes it so much easier to 
to go to work and work hard and work smart when you enjoy the people um, and believe in the culture that 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 firm is putting forth. So well, I applaud just, you just for thinking that way. Go back to the story that 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 you asked me to reveal at the beginning of of your podcast. And I think about my own experience. And again, this is what I was saying that I think I think of things differently now at the age of 56 than I did when I was 36. But as a 56-year-old, I look back and I realize I was looking for Lieben und Arbeit. And I was looking for connection and I was looking for purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It it does come back to that. It really does. I mean, you cut, you go through everything else, and it really does. That's really the thing that that resonates the most. So I, I think that's an important point for the audience to think about. So we we've we've mentioned culture, right? And now, of course, it's like front and center on whether you're whether it's discussions around you know firm acquisitions or in recruiting and retaining employees, like you just mentioned. And it's been proven time and time again that culture can literally make or break a firm's success. So talk to me about what it takes to set that culture in place and establish it for a firm. How how did you do this at the Colony Group? You said it was already kind of in place, but how do you set it up if you're a firm that's really looking to establish that and or continuing it or evolving it? Yeah, we had a great culture, but it's very different now. It's evolved. Cultures evolve over time. So First, I will just say that I think it's important. People often say that the CEO sets the culture. I think the CEO's role is not to set the culture, but rather to reveal the culture and to nurture the culture. So my answer hopefully will be heard in that context. The way I think about culture is uh, first and foremost, and I would I would suggest to your listeners that they 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 try to decipher the difference between what we might call descriptive and prescriptive cultures. My sense is that many people talk about culture in a prescriptive way where they speak about it in the form that they'd like it to be rather than describing the actual culture that they have. As I think about our culture and describing what I believe is our actual culture, I would say it's got three components. It's a culture of kindness, it's a culture where we value super teams before superstars, and it's a it's a culture in which we we practice awareness. We have awareness of how we show up. We have awareness of when we're in drama. We have awareness of when we're open and curious, and when we're committed to our truths and committed to we know it's all we, we've got all the answers. It's having awareness of how we interact with each other, when we're at our best and where we're not. And all of these things are human. It's just having awareness around it, not judgment, just awareness. So that's our national consistent culture across all 21 of our offices. But what's I think special about our culture and what I would suggest to others as they think about describing their cultures versus prescribing their cultures, mm -hmm. I think we have a very multicultural company and what i mean by that is not multiculturalism in the in the traditional sense of the term though i think we have that too but rather we have a willingness and even a desire to accept and nurture all of the cultures that have joined us through mergers 
and also all the cultures that have grown organically through organically grown offices. Ultimately, I think that that it will be a waste if we if we said to people, okay, now you've got to be a part of our culture. Uh, you've got to you, you've got to you know give up everything you had in one culture. Well, you can have one consistent culture, and you can have lots of different subcultures, just as our country does. And we can respect those cultures, and we can learn from those cultures. Suzanne, are you a, are you a Star Trek fan by any chance? No, I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully, some of your your listeners are. And okay. There's this really bad species called the Borg, and the Borg. Uh, go throughout the galaxy and they they wipe out people and assimilate them. And when 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 if you are unfortunate enough to be visited by the Borg, here's what they say to you. It's always the same. It's a it's a sort of a uh, um, cyborg vo- voice. And what they say is, "We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. We are not the Borg. We are the opposite of the Borg. We want we, we want all those cultures that join us not to adapt to service us, but rather to enrich us, to make us better. I'm going to have to check out uh, Star Trek. <laughs> uh, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. I love how you how you weaved in a Star Trek reference to something that's actually very deep when you're thinking about how you position your firm to current and future team members. Very very good advice from the Borgs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Check that out. So so what about sustainability? Yeah. How can advisors and firm owners essentially future-proof their businesses. So it doesn't just exist in the future, but it thrives. Great question. We think about it all the time. Suzanne, I'd like to direct you and your listeners to a TED Talk and a Harvard Business Review article that was, uh, was done by Martin Reeves of BCG. And I think Martin Reeves is brilliant and I read a lot of his stuff. And he had this insight years ago as he thought about about the rarity of companies that last for a hundred years. The I, I read a statistic that that about zero point five percent of companies in the U.S. last for about a hundred years, and uh, so it's a very very rare thing. And what is it about these companies that enables them to do that? And what he looked at was biological systems, specifically ones that he thought were particularly resilient. And he looked at the human immune system and he observed six traits within the human immune system. And these are the traits that companies that seek to be sustainable, as you said, or resilient ones that will last for a hundred years should consider adopting. Some of them are obvious. The human immune system is prudent, and so should so should companies be prudent. That means being careful about about 
looking around you, never assuming you have all the answers, always being careful about the way you operate. Modularity. This is this concept of building systems that if they go down, other systems will not go down. This is another feature of the human immune system Mm -hmm. that companies that seek to be enduring what we call enterprises, because to us, an enterprise is a sustainable business, seek to do. Redundancy. There have to be redundancies within an organization. You cannot ever overly rely on one person, one system. Diversity. You know, people talk about diversity and it's something we talk about all the time. And there are so many reasons to embrace diversity. And, um, and, but for those though that, that get hung up in politics or whatever social perspectives they are, and if they just need a good business case for diversity, Without it, you're not sustainable. And that's the same thing that happens with the human immune system and other biological systems. It's their diversity that gives them strength. It's their diversity that actually enables them to to pursue the next function that was identified by Martin Reeves, which is adaptability, adaptiveness. You cannot adapt. You cannot change unless you have diverse perspectives, unless you have the ability to see things and do things differently, which only comes with diversity. And then lastly, the last of the of the traits are is embeddedness. The human immune system understands that it is embedded in something greater than itself, in that case, the human body. If the human body goes down, that's it for the human immune system. And so it is with we companies. We have to understand we're part of communities. We're part of an industry. We're part of an economy. And and those organizations that are able to embrace embeddedness embrace their place in something greater are the organizations that ultimately are best suited for for long-term survivability, which is why we at our company have taken the net positive pledge. And and Suzanne, I would encourage all of your listeners uh, to contact you or to contact me if they're interested in learning more this is not something the colony group is looking to lead. We just want to be part of it. Part of it. Again, we want to be part of a system. We do embrace interdependence. We do embrace embeddedness. A net positive pledge is very simple. It's a concept that was introduced by Paul Pullman and Andrew Winston. There's a Harvard Business Review article about it. Uh, there's a book about it called Net Positive Pledge. And the idea is simply to make a pledge to give more to the world then we take. And each company can pursue that however they see best. We have 10 principles that our people basically voted on in terms of how they want to pursue being net positive. But this is the way we think about things. We think about, we ask the question all the time, Suzanne, is the world a better place because our company is in it? And if you can't answer that question honestly, your company is not sustainable and your company will ultimately fail. It's just a question of time. So tell me more. That, first of all, I love how, again, the analogy with the immune system and all of the ways that are important from aspects of sustainability in a business, that's, you know, things that are, that, that people can relate to, that can, they can understand and your comments about diversity are so 
important and critical right now. And I think especially coming from a white male leader to to really be vocal about that. I think that's that's a that's an that's the next step for our industry is to really not make this just a discussion within an ecosystem, but really part of an overall business strategy. So I, and I know you have that on your website and everything. So I I love that you're doing that. Tell me a little bit more about how people can get involved with the net positive pledge. We believe that we can do more together. On June 21st, we will have a Zoom call among equals. It doesn't matter what size your firm is. It doesn't matter if you're an RIA or if you're another participant in our broader investment services industry, fintech, wealth tech, consulting. We welcome all because we think we need all perspectives. We are going to have a Zoom uh, call. Get in touch with me. My email is mnathanson at thecolonygroup.com. Send me an email. I'll send you an invitation. So far, we have about 30 people signed up for it. But the vision ultimately is, what if we had 500 different firms from our industry that came together and all made their own version of the net positive pledge. And again, it will be different for every company because companies see things differently. All we ask is all 500 firms make a commitment to give more to the world than they take. Can you imagine what we could do? You know, if we think about legacy, okay, I am going to go back to the the seven habits just one more time. (laughs) One of the seven habits of, of highly effective people is to begin with the end in mind. But that doesn't mean begin this podcast with, okay, well, how's it going to end? Where's the big bang at the end? It doesn't mean begin a project thinking about what do I want to accomplish in the project? What it means is begin the rest of your life with the end in mind, your end in mind. Go to your funeral. What will people say? What will people think? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And for me, I want my legacy, ultimately, I hope many years from now, to be more than I just made a lot of money for people and myself. For me, I want my legacy to be to be that I was part of something extraordinary, that I accomplished my mission, which my own personal mission, which is to live my most extraordinary life by empowering and enabling others to live theirs. So it's about legacy. We have to all ask ourselves what we want to leave behind. You know, that is, uh, and I think that's something that that also I, I know um, I, I talk about this a lot, definition of success changes throughout your career journey. And I know that um, as I've gotten older and a lot of people that I talk to in this industry, that their definition of success changed and it, it, it does end with leaving an impact. So with that, we are at our last, what I like to call the last line with the title and the theme of the podcast in mind. What is your last line? What key takeaway, one line, do you want to leave our audience with today? If you seek to become the the most highly effective version of yourself, and if you seek for your company to to be the most highly effective version of itself, embrace interdependence or face the alternative, which is ultimately, in my opinion, extinction through natural selection. 
Fabulous. What a what a profound last line. And I wouldn't expect anything less from you, Michael. I just want to thank you so much for, you know, all you're doing at the Colony Group, all you're doing for our industry, what impact you're leaving on the industry and for future generations of advisors. So again, thanks again for being a part of my new podcast. I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Thanks for listening and tune in next week when I sit down with Tyrone Ross, co-founder of Turnkey Labs and founder of 401 Financial. Thanks again. Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies, everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor.